As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that always rules. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and if there's one word that you should pay attention to from what I just said, it's rules. It's rules indeed, Jake. Uh, Good morning. We are recording this on Wednesday, February 15th. We are less than 10 days away from the start of spring training games, and the start of spring training games means the introduction of a whole new baseball universe which we are now entering into. We've known about these for a few months, but we decided that before the games get started, we wanted to devote an entire podcast episode to what baseball is going to look like in 2023 and beyond and focus on these new rules. Do they rule? Do they not? We don't have it. It remains to be seen how much these rules rule, uh, but we're going to, to dig into them today, I think. The number one rule that you need to know is that now... Once hitters make contact with the ball, they will run to the left, their left instead of their right, and they will round the bases from the opposite direction. And they Mm -hmm. must do so with their feet tied together. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that is going to create a whole different host of scenarios for MLB this year. Right, and Theo Epstein kind of talked about this rule, just saying, you know, we're trying to get more excitement into the game. You know, kids are not wanting to tune into baseball anymore. And we said, if we tie their feet and we have them run the base in reverse – no one's going to be watching football and basketball anymore. Um, so that's that. That's I think that's the only one we got, right? So that you, is that the, the whole podcast. Anything else? That one and Mike Trout has to play naked, which is interesting. That's another weird one. But again, when you talk about maybe trying to get a different demographic to tune in, I feel like that could you know create that possibility. Well, it's cross promotion with the movie series Magic Mike. Uh, Okay, so no, those are not the real rules. We will get into each of the specific real rules, but I would like to take a macro view to start and talk about these rules and how they kind of came about and why we have them and who exactly uh, spearheaded this fight. And it all starts with a man named Theo Epstein. Now, Theo Epstein, you know that name because he built the Red Sox and won a title, and then he built the Cubs and won another title. And from there, atop his perch, he said, I have no worlds for Alexander, for Theo Epstein wept because he had no worlds left to conquer. And so he left the game from the the GM side of the game and went to go work for the commissioner's office. And now he is tasked with a higher calling, perhaps a higher calling (laughs) and more or less tasked with cleaning up the analytical mess he helped create, right? Because- The space baseball finds itself in where these rules have become necessary. Part of that is is on Theo Epstein's shoulders. The blood is on his hands because we uh, the analytical revolution is good for the efficiency of front offices, but it has not necessarily led to a more entertaining product on the field. In fact, it has led to a bit of a sloggier situation on the diamond. And a lot of that is... Theo Epstein's, you know, responsibility. And now he is the one working at the commissioner's office, helping to fit. It's like a Jimmy Neutron episode. 
Oh no! I've, <laughs> I I made this up. mess. Now I, I made this now, mess. Now listen, it, it wasn't all theory. It's true. I think it is fair to say that, of course, his and just a, whatever front offices in general and how they've developed and how they have created their teams and how they want to win baseball games has created a less interesting product to the average fan. This is another important point, right? We, if you're listening to us, and a lot of the people listening to us are not average fans. We are not, right? We hope that there are a lot of average fans listening to us, and we we hope that we can have that perspective and understand that, yes, we're going to watch literally any version of baseball no matter how long it takes because we're crazy, right? But like in general, baseball is trying to grow. Baseball is trying to get a wider audience for obvious reasons. That's how any business is going to work. And also that's how you want, you want your sport to be popular. That's not that complicated. And the way that the sport has become over the last two decades, you can understand if you zoom out why it is a little bit less popular than it used to be. I think that is fair to say. And with all that in mind, baseball with the help of Theo Epstein and some other former players like Raul Abanez, who have been very uh, a big, big part of these rules, have come up with some new rules that we are going to introduce here in a second. Um, and we, in this podcast, with the help of some special guests, which we'll introduce a little bit later, are going to at least try and start to understand what this is going to look like and how it will change the sport we love. Let's hop right into the rules, Jordan. Uh, Raul Abanez tried to make one of the rules, you must spike the ball into the turf. But Theo Epstein was all, like, all, that's not allowed. I mean, uh, his, also, it has to help that his name is is Raul. Rule the the new Raul Zibanez. Um, yes, I, I'm sure he would like to to legislate that. Um, but no, no, uh, that that is not the first rule. So, uh, how would you say that there are three new rules, or would you say that there are four new rules? Because I think this is. I know it doesn't really matter that much, um, but it depends if you want to split up. You know the 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 pickoffs and the pitch clock. I think there could be anywhere from three to six rules that we're going to talk about today. And we let's go from the least important in our minds mm. to the most important. I would like sure. to count down in that regard. And in our perspective, the least important new change this year is indeed the position player pitching rule that went into effect or was announced, I believe, yesterday, uh, two days ago, where... Uh, there are now restrictions on when position players can pitch in MLB games. So this was actually already in place uh, last year, um, but they were just much more lenient. It was only a six-run limit needed to, or a six-run minimum, I guess, in either direction to have a pitch. Now it will require uh, for it to be an, an eight-run uh, deficit or 10-run lead um, for a team to be able to use position player pitching. The specifics of this, I don't really care. I'm just interested in this because people will have an email about this later. But people used to love position players pitching. And something has changed over the last two years because it's happening so much more often now where people are completely disenchanted and it's not interesting. Remember, the other thing about this rule this is that is important to know and the extra innings uh, automatic runner rule, those were approved unanimously by the players. <laughs> the competition committee, the players are the ones who, which you cannot say about the other rules we're going to talk about. But the players themselves were like, yes, this is what we want, including the automatic runner in, in the regular season. So that is an important thing to recognize because that was not the case for the other rules we're going to talk about. And the position player rule will not fundamentally change the way that we watch baseball. If no, you are sitting down in front of your MLB TV, hoping and praying and crossing your fingers that maybe you'll get to see, you know, uh, Francisco Mejia throw in the ninth inning of a blowout, maybe baseball is not for you. This does not change the way that we watch the sport. Another 
uh, rule that will now kind of breeze through is the extra inning runner on second rule. Remember, it's not a ghost. Okay. There's a real person there. Those runners are people too. This rule, I have trouble getting up in arms and mad about because we've now had it in the last couple of years and it feels more normal to us, right? We've had it the last three seasons mm-hmm. in yeah. 2021 and, and 22. My, so it's like, I, it's just the new normal for me, I think. Totally. And my take on it has been, hasn't really changed since the beginning. I go back and forth about how much I like it. I wish it started in the 12th instead of the ninth. I wish we had a few more innings of, of, of you know, regular extra innings, but I don't care that much. I'm glad it doesn't exist in the postseason, despite how miserable some of those games were in the postseason last year where nobody could score. That was also great drama. And one of the things I missed about having, you know, the super long game. So we got those back in the regular season. Totally fine with it. I just don't feel that. I know some people feel super strongly about it, but save your energy because these other rules you are going to have way stronger feelings about. And now is a good time to point this out. There are people who feel super strongly about all of these rules. Yeah, there is someone mm-hmm. there is someone on the baseball internet tons of people where if you bring one of these rules up to them they will go completely nuts all right <laughs> yes, and that's what's yes. important to remember is like fans are a large demographic of people there are many different types of people ages backgrounds whatever like there's always going to be someone mad about something right mm-hmm. and so i just think we need to have a more patient view on things here. So those are the two rules that I think were announced this week that have gotten a lot less pub and for good reason, because we don't think they're as important. But now, Jordan, let's talk Mm. about Dembigo bases. (laughs) Okay. We're again, we're working our way up uh, to the, to the headliner. Um, But let's talk about the big old bases as we got some, some photos of them already. I mean, we've already seen, uh, we've already seen, uh, you know, what those, what those big old bases are going to look like. Um, We've seen them in the minors already, but now we get to see them on major league spring training fields. And I would say that this is probably insignificant because while, it, again, it is part of a larger push to increase base running and help base runners steal bags and whatnot, <laughs> we are skeptical this will make that big of a difference. Is that fair to say? Yeah. One of my favorite things was people tweeting out pictures of them next to the other sized bases and being like, Wow, get a load of these new big old bases next to those old little boy bases. And they look the same, really. I understand that there's a three-inch difference. Bases used to be 15 inches square. Now they're 18 inches square. This, I don't... Like, this is not going to fundamentally change the way we watch baseball. It's not. No, it's not. It's... Yeah, definitely not going to change the way we watch it. I don't feel that strongly in terms of how much I believe it will. Fa- I, I'm not totally convinced that will have no effect. I know so I know you're closer towards this will make no difference. I think it might make some difference. But to your point, it's not going to change the way we watch the sport at all. I don't think. I think it could have a difference when we pop up the league-wide stats at the end of the year and we look at stolen base totals and we look at like, BABIP right on like infield hits could be up because it's closer to home plate. But when we're sitting down, if you watched, let's say that the big, big old bases were the only new rule this year, you would not be able to tell the difference between a 2022 and 2023 game with the big old bases. Exactly. Exactly. I do love them though. I, I think they should be even bigger. <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe we'll keep, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't think it's going to, you're going to notice it. There is a point where it would actively probably change it. And I don't know what that point is, but we're definitely not there yet. I would have loved if MLB had increased the size of the bases a half inch 
per year and like <laughs> slowly introduced these bases but didn't tell anybody. And I like how many people would have noticed if the bases were 15 and a half inches square. Does this anyone year. notice? No, no one notices. I doubt it. Certainly if you switch to this size without telling anyone people to notice. But yeah, I like that idea too. Um, <laughs> missed opportunities <laughs> to say the least. Uh, okay, so the big old bases, we move aside. I mean, well, we can keep making our pizza box jokes. But again, not going to change the way we, we really watch baseball. Can I ask The next question? one, yeah. Those bases, are they big old? They big and old. Uh, big and new. Why are we calling them big old? Those big new bases. Um, anyway, uh, let's now talk about the shifts because the shifts are also going away. Now, is the shift banned? Can you no longer shift your players? No, that's not that's not true. You can still your fielders can still be moved to to some level of discretion. Shifts are banned in the way that Jeff Lunau or John Capalella are banned. Technically. You can do them. They can work in baseball, but they're not. Yes. And so what this means, what the, what the defensive shift limit rules are, is that, again, as now described in the rules, four infielders must be within the outer boundary of the infield when the pitcher is on the rubber. So that is, I think, an important detail even more. They must be on the dirt. That's all of them, sure? regardless of which side. I am almost positive that that is the rule. I am the like 95% sure. Okay. They have to be in, right? This is also, again, so we also just can't be playing as far back, which, by the way, I know that that I'm very curious to, to talk to some third basemen this year because I know there are some third basemen like to play crazy deep. Forget shifts. They just like to play crazy deep. But again, so that is that is part of it. But the one that the real part is that you that you must have two uh, infielders on both sides of second base. Now, that doesn't mean that a shortstop or a second baseman can't stand very, very, very close to second base or, or you know kind of the line uh, straight behind uh behind oop, towards center field that's possible but they must have two on each side right and you cannot be switching positions either so if you feel like oh this guy's gonna hit to the right side my shortstop's my best, my best defender i'm gonna switch him with second base you can't do that either now i don't totally understand how you're gonna legislate that because couldn't you technically just say he's the second baseman now um, versus saying he's now standing over there. Like you could just do it. Like I, I assume that they're going to clamp down on that and that would qualify as circumventing the rules. Same kind of thing where I know we speculated on the possibility of running towards the other side as the pitch is delivered. Um, it sounds like that will also be stopped if teams try and do that. Um, but at the same time, the point is, is two infielders on both sides of second base. They can whatever side, however they want to spread out on each side, they can do that. But that is the rule, and so we will no longer have three infielders on one side or another. This is basically like, hey, quit being schmucks. I'm interested <laughs> to see which teams try and push the boundaries and which teams are content being normal. See, to me, I, I'm totally with you. I think we're going to see all kinds of goofy shit in spring training, especially because again, this is you might as well, right? In the way that they're all going to be adjusting to all these rules, I think they're going to be trying all kinds of stuff. And the main thing that people are wondering is, oh, is it illegal to take an outfielder and put them on, you know, in that deep, you know, right field hole or you know, past second base, the way that we used to have uh, pull heavy shifts for left-handed hitters? And the answer is, you actually can still do that. So if you want to take Whoop. your left fielder and you can put him in short right field and have the same thing and tell Joey Gallo, all right, Joey Gallo, hit it to left field, dude. 
Well, otherwise, you're just going to be stuck with the same problem you had last time. That is allowed. We will see if teams are willing to risk that just letting your whole left field open. Or, I mean, you know, you could just have two outfielders and spread them out and put them in right center and left center. I'm curious to see if teams will try that. I do think they will try it in spring training. I don't know how much we'll see it in the regular season. To me, I love that because if you... Obviously, team, all these teams have been shifting regular left-handed pull, left pull hitters for a while. But it, teams that are doing that, I mean, that is the ultimate, like, <laughs> like the hitters that are having that happen to them, oof, that, that's going to be a tough look. But we'll see. I'm curious about that one. I don't think that this new rule will fundamentally change the way we watch baseball either, Jordan. Because, yes, there are many shifts in the game but not that many of them actually feature three players on one side of the infield. A lot of them have a player who stands right behind second base and a player at the shortstop position. Now, mm -hmm. I do think that we'll have more ground balls that will sneak through from pull-heavy hitters, but I, I, I think it's a similar situation. Well, we're going to look up at the end of the year and some people's numbers will be different and we'll have a higher batting average on balls in play. But if you watch an average game, besides the Joey Gallo, Corey Seegers of the world, I don't actually think it will change a whole lot because we will still have the hard ground ball up the middle to uh, infielder standing near the second base back. That's not yeah, going to change. I, I'm 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 with you. Um, again, I don't. I there's you know conflicting data about how much it's helped BAMP in the minor leagues, and again, it's different because major league hitters are different for a lot of reasons. Whatever. Um, I'm most interested in this because from a basic standpoint, when you look at the when you look at the data over the last since shifting has become crazy, who has shifted the most in baseball? The Astros and the Dodgers, who've been the two best teams in baseball. And so I am just from a strictly a competitive standpoint, do I trust the Astros and Dodgers to figure out how to how to you know do their positional defending uh, with this with these new rules? Of course I do, right? At the same time, like that feels notable that two of the best teams over the last few years have shifted more than any other team, and now they won't be able to do that in the same manner. So that I'm curious about. Um, at the same time, I'm with you. I don't think it will make a huge, huge, huge difference. And it's been really interesting to see the research that says, oh my God, Corey Seager lost 25 hits, or oh, actually he only lost seven hits. Like. It's, there's a lot of different ways you could do that methodology, and there's only one way to find out. Put the rules in place and see what happens. So that is that one. But in general, I agree with you. It is not going to change the way we watch baseball, which Let's, brings us to the one that will. <laughs> the one that will change the way. Big, big, yes. big way. Everything is different now. Nothing is the same because there is a clock. Tick-tock, tick-tock goes the pitch timer. I would love if the pitch timer wasn't analog. Or sorry, was analog. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like that would make like it think about how much worse, how much harder all of like if if you force that all the pitch clocks are in every park across the country was analog and you had to keep an eye literally on the second hand moving, um, just it would make everything even worse. I kind of love that. When I think of the word timer, right, not clock timer, I think about like a 1950s housewife baking a pie where the timer is like going oh, yeah. doo, 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 and then mm -hmm. ding the pie's ready mm -hmm. like i need a huge one of those like an <laughs> enormous one behind on plate yes. at every stadium yes that would be great i agree probably a little bit harder to reset extremely quickly hundreds of times a game you but have like an umpire like <laughs> 
<laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but in theory, if aesthetically I agree with you, that would be way better than just the normal, you know, numbers counting down. They need that for the Field of Dreams game as a throwback, right? We can't have um, wow, fancy class. I love that. Uh, all right, Jake, tell me the rules about the new uh, pitch timer. What exactly is the clock that pitchers will be now and hitters will be now living by? Everyone listen up. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the deal. 30 second timer between batters. Okay, someone makes an out. That next pitch to the next hitter, it's going to be 30 seconds. You better get going now. Okay. Now between pitches during an at bat, there is a 15 second timer if the bases are empty and a 20 second timer if there are runners on base. I'm going to say that again. 15 seconds with the bases empty, 20 seconds with a runner on base. Now the pitcher must begin their motion to deliver the pitch before the expiration of that 15 or 20 second timer. If they do not do that, they will be charged with manslaughter. No, with an automatic <laughs> ball. Okay. A batter that violates the timer will be charged with an automatic strike. Now, how does a batter violate this timer? A batter must be in the box and ready to go. I think it is defined as, quote, alert to the pitcher by the eight-second mark, okay? That is the eight-second mark, eight seconds left on the clock, correct? Mm -hmm. Or is that eight seconds into the clock? No, eight seconds left. Eight seconds left. Eight seconds left. So when there are eight seconds left on the clock, the batter must be ready to go in the box. And if not, they are charged with an automatic strike. Now, those are the rules about the time of the timer and the punishments of the timer. That To me, that's kind of one thing. And then there's like the resetting of the timer and how it impacts holding runners. So let's talk about that now, okay? The timer is reset when there are runners on base if the pitcher attempts a pickoff or steps off the rubber. That is defined as a disengagement, okay? Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. opposite of what you are, Jordan. You are engaged. <laughs> yes. These pitchers disengaged. I'm disengaged. Yes. yes. <laughs> disengaged. But disengaged does imply you were engaged at one point. Like Pete so <laughs> Davidson and Ariana Grande are disengaged. Yes. And, right. and so this is, but this is important, right? Because... That is what is now defined as, as, as a disengagement, either, either a pickoff attempt or stepping off. And now pitchers are limited to two of those per plate appearance. Um, now the limit, so it's reset if a runner advances during the plate appearance. So again, if, if a guy steals second, now you go back to two during that plate appearance, that's fine. But the important part here is, if after two disengagements, you attempt a third time to throw over and you do not uh, pick off the runner, it is automatically, he's, he's automatically awarded the base anyway, which creates a situation now <laughs> where the, the risk reward of the stepping off and throwing over and controlling the runners on the base is now drastically heightened. And if anything, this is, I think one of the most basic I, and I know, Jake, you might disagree with this as a, as a former pitcher who I'm sure took pride in controlling the running game to some degree. Um, as far as the aesthetic watch goes, stepping off and throwing over or not throwing over is one of the least interesting things to an average fan in baseball. And I'm sure that is one of the things that they said, oh, well, let's just make a rule where they can't do that a million times. But that will have serious ramifications, I think. 
I totally agree with you. The when you're a player controlling the running game, especially at the college level, is so important to winning games. But as a fan, it is so boring. Think about all the times, right, in a playoff game where someone throws over and the fans boo, right? They view it as a waste of time. It is not interesting to watch, really, or interesting to think about. And what this new rule does is it creates a set of incentives that aligns kind of the competitive aspect and the entertainment value of the sport itself. And so for that reason, I absolutely love this rule. I guess we could talk a little bit about that later. But remember, if a third pickoff is attempted, right, you have two diff- disengagements, you can attempt a third one, but if you do that and you don't get the Better runner. get it. Better bah, nail them. <laughs> yes, and, and box are another big part of this. And there was also some reporting this week about how they'll be enforcing box a lot more closely. Some deliveries are going to have to change because of the way that they are stringent, more stringently uh, you know, in, enforcing these things. All of this said, again, why do we boo when guys throw over? Because we're like, hey, leave him alone. I want to see that guy steal second. Or that guy's not going anywhere. Why are you wasting our time throwing over there six times during this at bat? Right? Like that is not interesting. And what baseball wants is we want the stolen base to be back in the sport. And so we want to make it easier for base runners to steal bases. We are of the opinion that the pitch timer and the rules about disengagements as kind of one big clump of a rule will have more of an impact on the game and the style of play in 2023 than all these other rules combined. It will be more impactful. You will see it more. You will discuss it more. It will create more weird highlights and moments that you will send to your friends from high school or whatever. And that, that, there, reason, that your friends from high school are going to send to you. Correct. (laughs) For that reason, the majority of the rest of the show is going to revolve around and be dedicated to conversations about the pitch clock. And if you think that you know how this is going to play out, you don't. We don't. Big leaguers don't. Hitters think it's going to be worse for them. Pitchers think it's going to be worse for them. Umpires think it's going to be worse for everyone wants to be the victim here, and no one actually knows how it's going to play out. And there are only a few people who know how this will actually play out, and those are the people who experienced these rule changes in the minor leagues last season. And so what we're going to do now is instead of pretending like we know what the fuck it's going to be, we are going to bring on some relative experts who saw this with their own two eyes. And first off, that person is a fellow member of the Jewish community, not uh, unlike us, a professional catcher and a member of the 2013 world champion Red Sox, Jordan, Ryan LaVarnway, everybody. Why did we get Ryan LaVarnway on? Well, because Ryan LaVarnway, uh, in addition to just being a, a smart guy that went to Yale, uh, has played a lot of baseball in his career, of course. And more specifically, he has played a lot of AAA baseball, particularly recently. And this is someone, as a catcher in particular, is someone that has to think about these new rules from both the hitter and pitcher perspective. And so we thought him, with a combination of his experience, his insight, his position, we thought he would be a great person to come on and tell us what life was like actually playing with these rules, uh, or with some of these rules, you know, mainly the, the pitch timer, 
um, in AAA baseball in 2022. So enjoy this conversation with Ryan Lombardo. As we proceed on our journey to try and understand the old and new rules of Major League Baseball, we are now excited to be joined by one man who has seen and played in so many goddamn baseball games. Ryan LaVarnway, thank you for joining us on Baseball Barbercast. What's up, boys? <laughs> uh, Ryan, when you meet a new person, let's yeah. say like they're a, uh, you know, like a, a parent of a, ki- of a kid in your kid's class and they're like, what do you what do you do? How do you explain that to people? What do you say? I just say I, I play baseball. Okay. Great. And, and typically there's a follow-up question like, what, do, what does that mean? Where? I was like, oh, professionally. They're right. like, what, like like semi-pro? I'm like, no, in the big leagues sometimes. Sometimes not. Okay. So that's Ryan LaVarnway, everybody. Uh, in the big leagues sometimes <laughs> and sometimes not. You have been a professional baseball player since the year 2008. Yes. That is an incredible accomplishment in and of itself. Yes, Congratulations you. to you. My my and teammates we, like to like to start thinking about um like what technology was around when I started mm-hmm. playing and really exaggerating. And it's it's a really good time that we have. Um especially the last two seasons I've I've started to be called grandfather mm-hmm. or uh, abuelo by my some of my teammates. <laughs> It's, it's cool to be the oldest guy. It's never cool to be the second oldest guy. So congratulations to you <laughs> on being the oldest guy. Nice. So you finally, but but to that point, that experience means that you have played many, many seasons of baseball in many different leagues, many different levels, of course, including the major leagues. Yep. And so this, this podcast specifically is focused on the new rule changers that are coming to Major League Baseball in 2023. And you got to experience and play with uh, these rule changes, I guess not all of them, but uh, the most important one, the pitch clock um, yeah. in the minor leagues in AAA in 2022. So you played many, many seasons in the clockless baseball, and that is what you knew, of course. So when it first... They didn't even you- have clocks when they drafted <laughs> this guy. Yeah, we used, we used sundials originally for my first <laughs> Exactly. Back in yeah. back when you were playing in Lowell. When, it was, when it you was, go to Yale, you just know what time it is. You just can feel it in the air. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, go ahead. When, when the leaves on the tree turn orange, it's time to go to class. There, mm-hmm. there you go. Exactly. And so with, with all of that experience and all of those seasons, for, for you of all players, it's one thing for the people getting drafted now, and now it's like, hey, you're doing this, and they're used to it. It's like, okay, well, this is baseball. I have to imagine there was some level of adjustment for you in particular, but when, it was, when you first started playing with it, what were your first reactions to playing baseball with a pitch clock? I hated it. I hated it. I... I was the hitter that doesn't feel ready to get in the box until the pitch clock is is off and it's strike three on me already. I I feel like I am the player that this pitch clock was invented for. Mm. And, you know, I I got drafted by the Red Sox. I played with the Red Sox uh, in the big leagues for parts of four years, but in the organization for seven years. And they were all about, especially as a catcher, if things start going the other way and you feel the momentum being lost, slow the game down if you're not ready don't get in the box if you're the pitcher and you're not ready don't get on the mound right so we were intentionally slowing the game down and this was also the um right at the beginning of baseball analytics where the the red sox were also trying to take pitches walk a lot so i came up to a game in the big leagues where we were playing four to four and a half hour games every single night and we also had clay buckholtz on our pitching staff 
who loves to shake. Even if you, as the catcher, put down the right sign on the first try, he wants to shake to get in the batter's head to cycle through all the other pitches and come back to the first one you said. So our games were four and a half hours. It was kind of brutal. You know, when, when we were playing the Yankees, it was especially long, but people were into it, right? They're like on the edge of their seat the whole time. So that was one thing. <laughs> you got like but, Kevin Euclid working like 12 pitch at bats. Yeah. I mean, right? it was a real thing. They valued pitches per plate appearance mm-hmm. was a stat that they kept and posted in the locker room towards minor league hitter of the month or or whatever because it was something they valued so much at that time so i came up in a game that was played very slow very long and that was normal i got accustomed to that and i think we all saw the at bat where jazz chisholm was was being clapped towards from the umpire and jazz was like no i'm gonna get in the box when i damn well please Mm -hmm. and then he goes and hits a homer right (laughs) Mm-hmm. As a minor league player last year, I didn't have any big league time last year, and I had played with Jazz, so I know Jazz, and I and I kind of knew as soon as the umpire pitched him off, I was like, oh, here it comes, right? <laughs> but as a minor leaguer, I'm I'm like, Jazz, get in the box, man. Like, yeah, you're scratching your jock, or yeah, you're whatever. I I can see it from both sides because as a player, I want to make sure I'm a hundred percent ready. To try to hit these pitchers these days are unbelievably talented. They're throwing nasty stuff up there. It's hard to hit a 103 mile per hour cutter or a 92 mile per hour slider, right? It's the hardest thing to do in all of sports. So you want to make sure you're ready, 100% ready. As a fan, as someone watching the game, or even as another player in the dugout, this pitch clock makes the game so fast and so much more enjoyable to be a part of and to watch. We would be playing games, and I would look up at the scoreboard. It would be a game that I'm catching. So I had run out to the field eight times, and I'm like, how is it the eighth inning already? It's, yeah. It changes the game. You're in and out of there. There's there's more action per per minute, and you still – I mean, it's the same amount of pitches. It's the same amount of outs and strikes and whatever, but it's better to watch. Yeah. And I think for us, you know, they put the stats out. They say it shaved off 20 minutes, 25 minutes – And I think that doesn't totally explain what it feels like to watch it. It's not just that the game is now two hours and 45 minutes. It's what it feels like in the moment. And this is why we wanted to get your perspective in particular as someone who played it and as a catcher because you understand it as a hitter, right? So many people are worried about, oh, my God, what is, you know, Otani and Darvish and some of these pitchers that take a million years forever. You know, you mentioned a guy like Buckholz who likes to shake and likes to try and, you know, mess with the hitter. But the hitters are part of this equation also. And 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 the catching as far as as far as, you know, managing your pitchers is what I'm also fascinated about as to how you made that adjustment as a catcher. So, I mean, take it take it in whichever direction. Like what what were some of the other adjustments that you yeah. had to make once you started to did, play with the pitch clock? Did yeah. you hate it with both of your brains, your catcher brain <laughs> and your hitter brain? Um, when nobody is on base or I have a pitcher that likes to work fast, it it's now to our benefit because let's, let's say, let me think of a specific guy like Daniel Castano of the Marlins. Mm-hmm. He likes to work quick and that is part of his game, right? Like he maybe doesn't have the most elite pitch repertoire. I don't, I don't want to insult him, but I think he might agree that he does not have the same sinker that Sandy Alcantara has. Okay. No one does. So it's okay. Ne- ne- right. Neither right. Do I, I mean, but part of his game is he's going to make you uncomfortable. 
in a lot of ways, right? He's going to attack you. He's going to throw in and he's going to work fast. That is something that a lot of pitchers have used to their advantage for a long time. So I think everybody pitching fast maybe takes a little bit away from those guys, but those guys are not the people that have a problem with the pitch clock because they were quick anyway. It's the people like um, Blake. Why am I blanking on his name? He, he's got a hundred million years in the show and I've played him in like three different seasons. No, he comes set and he like triple sets and shakes his glove and shakes his arse and, Oh, really who, wait, James Karinchak or no, uh, no. Oh, the Blakes God. currently in the big leagues are Blake Snell, Blake Trinan, Blake Parker, Blake Parker. Taylor. Oh, Parker. Blake Parker. His real name yes. is Richard. Richard Blake Parker takes <laughs> yeah. so long to come. Set. I mean, I love this guy to death. He is a good, good friend of mine. We stay in touch in the offseason, but he takes forever to come set. Mm-hmm. So for a guy like him, if the batter takes the full six or eight seconds, whatever they get to get in the box. And we don't have the pitch calm. I have to wait till the batter's in the box to be able to call a sign, right? It takes him four seconds to come set. And then he's got to deliver the pitch. So if he has to be set and not balk for, you know, say say it's even a half second, that means we have two seconds maximum to agree on a pitch uh, for the catcher to look into the dugout and get the runner control signals from the, the coach, whoever's calling pickoffs, slide steps, holds, pitch outs, whatever. And if there's any sort of disagreement about, I think you should throw a slider here. And he's like, oh, well, I want to throw a heater in here. And we have two seconds maximum or it's a ball. So, so do you think yeah. it makes, do you think it, it makes li- life harder for hitters or for pitchers? Because, and I, and I wrote a story about this during the year. I went out to a game in, in Lehigh Valley. And then we went, Jordan and I did uh, broadcast for games in Omaha. Talking to both groups, they're like, this makes life hell for us. And so <laughs> yeah. from our perspective, it's like, okay, so then it, it's even, right? If it's just making everybody's life more difficult, doesn't it all just lead to the same outcome? So I'm curious if you came away thinking, oh, this is much harder to deal with as a block. Uh, that's a great question. And I think at different points in the game and for different players specifically, the answer changes. Yeah. So as a catcher, say, say we're your teams in the third base dugout that day, right? Whatever that means for that stadium, home away, whatever you're in the third base dugout. The last hitter of the inning hits a ground ball as a catcher, you sprint to go back up first. Okay. So you've just sprinted to back up first, the farthest place you ever get away from your dugout. You've got to now change directions, run real far over to the dugout, take all your gear off. The pitcher and the pitching coach probably want to talk about something from that inning. You probably called the wrong pitch in their eyes. Take the gear off, throw your batting gloves on, grab your bat, grab your helmet, get up the steps, get in the on-deck circle, maybe have time for one practice swing. You didn't even see the pitcher warm up. It's time to get in the box or it's strike one. Yeah. Okay? So at times, it's it's harder on the hitter. Mm -hmm. There's also times where I know we lost – maybe two games in Toledo last year, AAA for the Tigers, who, for those of you that, that don't know, the world-famous Toledo Mudhens. If you don't, um, get with it. <laughs> uh, that's a show that was around before I got drafted, uh, believe it or not. That was so long ago. Um, there was a couple games that we lost because we had a pitcher come in, take his time getting to the mound, 
he got four warm-up pitches, you know, a relief pitcher in the middle of the inning because the clock says he doesn't get any more pitches. He didn't get to warm up his, say, changeup or slider. It was one of his off-speeds, and now there's a runner on base. So as the catcher, I didn't get to see what your off-speed pitch looks like today. I'm not as comfortable calling it. We get to a 3-2 count or whatever it was, and then now he looks back at second base. He checks the runner to make sure the runner's not going to steal, and he got a pitch clock violation. Ball four, we lose. Yeah. So I I like the way they actually did it the first year they started putting the pitch clock in. So this has been a process in the minor leagues. They tested it out a couple of years ago where they said, all right, we're going to give you 19 seconds. Mm-hmm. If you hit a foul ball as the hitter, the clock's off for the next pitch because you just swung as hard as you could. You're probably out of breath a little bit. Step out of the box, catch your breath, get back in. That part of the rule is now gone. If you foul it off, if you hit a 500-foot bomb that's foul by one inch and you start <laughs> jogging around the bases and you're at second base when the guy calls it foul, you got 15 seconds to get in the box. Oh, right? man. You don't get extra time to catch your breath. Like Maybe there's a little leeway because you're 180 feet away. But once you step back onto the circle that's the dirt, get in the box. If you take five swings in a row, five foul balls in a row, you're absolutely gassed as a hitter. This is now cardio <laughs> Cardio hitting. Well, so that's the thing also for pitchers that I find interesting, right? And Otani yep. is the starter who takes the most amount of time in between pitches, mm-hmm. which makes sense because he's doing more shit than anyone else in <laughs> baseball and needs every last millisecond to recuperate in between yeah. these enormous bursts of energy. And so what I'm interested to see is like, the pitchers that do need all that time, did they spend their off seasons just like getting in good aerobic shape? Are they altering Maybe. certain aspects of their training? Right. It opens up a whole new world to like, I think we as people on the outside who don't play, right. We forget that every pitch, every swing is a max effort exercise. It's the equivalent yeah. of like going to the gym and like, you know, lifting a weight as, as heavy as you can one time. Right. Yeah. My, my father-in-law likes to tell a funny story. Uh, he he didn't understand why a relief pitcher could only throw one inning at a time and then was off for three days afterwards. And I'm like, because the human body is not designed to throw 100 miles per hour, right? He went, so so he has this, that's the context. He goes to the fast pitch station on the concourse at one of my games, and he's like, surely I can throw 90 miles per hour as a 50-some-odd-year-old man at the time. He throws one pitch, the radar says 52, and he grabs his chest and falls to the ground because... Yeah. Throwing a ball as hard as you can is not a normal human movement. I was I was doing some research for one of my projects, and I saw that a hitter can generate up to four horsepower rotationally when they're when they're swinging at a fastball. Four horsepower. Think about that rotationally, and then you have to stop that momentum, that strength that you've just created out of nowhere. You think about how how do guys get hurt playing baseball? That's how you you stand around for two hours, then you generate four horsepower, stop it, and your body, and then you run as fast as you can and stop. So everything that you're describing would make me or someone listening be like, "Was AAA just a circus last year?" Right? <laughs> like you would hear this and think that every game was like this chaotic mess, and I'm sure that the first few weeks um, it was right. And to your point, some players, just because of the way that they play, the way that they pitch, the way that they prepare for each at-bat, 
unfazed, makes no difference, whatever. Yep. So I'm curious at what, how long did it take for it to kind of settle into a rhythm? I know they've put out the stats about how few violations there were after the first, you know, X number of games and stuff like yeah. that. For someone who played, you know, pretty much the whole year in AAA and you saw in multiple years, right, where you saw the yeah. first version of the changes, whatever. How long did it take? And did it become normal at some point? Or did you still feel like even if the league is now citing, oh, there are only so many violations, did it still feel kind of rushed and chaotic pretty much the whole season? Yeah, that's a good question, too. So the the first rule, the first year they put these rules into effect two years ago, they said, we're going to give you six weeks to kind of get used to this before we call any of these violations. Like the umpire will just tell you after the inning, like, hey, you should have been a little faster there. As the hitter, as the pitcher, you know, he'll t- they'll tell the catcher, hey, you had two there. Kind of just keep a heads up. And for those six weeks, everyone was like, screw it. I don't care. I'm going to get my my game in. I'm going to make sure I'm ready because these stats count as much as the next stat, right? When you're in AAA, if you give up an extra run or two a start, it's the difference between a big league call up and a couple million bucks and getting released and going to sell insurance the next week, right? It's It's a big freaking deal. The difference between just a little bit of performance. Once they started calling strikes and balls and it was now affecting your play, everybody was like, oh, snap. Now that one striker ball affects my play. So so everyone got on board. Now we don't have a chance anymore. Now we're screaming at the umpire for calling it, even though that we had six weeks to try to get used to it. Yeah. So once the umpires started to enforce it, first of all, it was extremely unpopular for the umpires to do it, but everyone got on board. You don't have a choice anymore. This is what we're doing. You better get used to it. Mm-hmm. And then it, it was not a circus, right? You might have felt a little rushed, but you deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the games that we went and saw at the AAA level, I guess it was mid-May and then in June. Mm-hmm. It looked like AAA baseball, but faster, better, sharper, and quicker. Like yeah. it didn't – by that point in the season, this, the number was like every other game – I think yep. had one violation. It was like a half a violation per game on average, which is going to be the headlines that get grabbed right at the end of the day. Yep. Like this guy got called out because he, you know, took too much time. But at the yep. end of the day, it really wasn't impacting play too much. Now, that being said, I think major leaguers are more stubborn yep. uh, than AAA players. And there will be a period of transition yep. where in April, there's going to be some shit that yep. we remember forever. Like, I'm thinking of when Sergio Romo had to take his belt off when they were doing all the checks with the sticky tack, right? Yeah. Like we we will have moments like that happen in the big leagues. So my question for you, what t- types of players do you think will have the most trouble with this in the big leagues? Is it going to be an experienced pitcher like Max Scherzer? Would it be more of a young bat? Um, who maybe the umpires are a little less lenient on what archetype struggles the most with the change. So, so I'm, I immediately think of like David Ortiz would have had a really hard time with this, right? Because he took forever to get in the box and he's a hundred years old and he was the best that ever did it. And I, you know, he's so good, but he took his time and it was, and it was art, right? And you wanted him to take his time. You're like spitting your gloves again, David, clap your hands. We love watching it. I'm going to do it in the stands too. Right. When the nine hole hitter is doing it, it's not art. Yeah. Right. But I guarantee you that that nine hole hitter is not doing it because he's trying to get swag and a Coca Cola endorsement deal. He's doing right. it because his heart rate is racing and he's trying to keep his spot as the 25th man on a 25 man roster. Yeah. He's trying to make sure he's ready. 
that's that's why most guys take their time. They're not they're not out there trying to put on a show. I mean, a couple guys are, but most for the most part, no. Um, I think anyone that's young is going to be fine with this because this has been in the minor leagues for a couple of years, so they should be used to it by now. And it's something that you can get used to. Maybe not a hundred percent, but you accept it. If that's the rule, that's how we're going to play baseball now. Um, and I think, like a guy like you, you, you mentioned who'd you mention Max Scherzer, an older pitcher. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think he's smart enough, and he's so competitive that he's going to find a way to deal with it. He might have a start or two where it's tough, but he'll be he'll be okay. Yeah. For me, the question is going to be, what I saw when this got implemented in the minor leagues was that that day where they decided, okay, we're not giving out warnings anymore. Now we're going to call this. The umpires were looking for it. So you had a ton of violations. It was almost like the umpire was watching the clock and not the game for, for a couple weeks. And then what you started to see was the umpires develop more of a feel for the game, right? Like if the clock hits zero and before you can blink, then the pitcher starts to deliver to home plate, just let it go. Mm-hmm. And if the batter is like stepping in the box at seven seconds or nine seconds or whatever it is, and he's still looking at his feet to make sure he's balanced or he's tapping his bat on the plate, technically is that a violation? Yes, but just let it go. Like he's not being egregious. He's not, he's not, you know, doing a marathon around around the batter's box. So you started to see umpires exhibit a little bit more feel. And I'm hoping that will be the same case with the major leagues because I think this year we have nine brand new umpires in the big leagues also. So those guys have been doing this in the minor leagues because umpires get called up the same way players do. So those guys should have some experience. Hopefully they share that experience with the old salty umpires um, because I have, I mean, it's easy to, to hate umpires, but they're, they're very, very good at what they do too. Yep. They're just, they're also human beings. So um, I hope they start to exhibit feel along the way and, and, you know, we'll see what happens. Because really- if there's one thing old umpires love to do, it's listen to young people. Sorry, Jordan, <laughs> but, go ahead. True. But, but to your point, I'm really glad you mentioned the umpires because yes. And part of those nine new umps coming in is because a bunch of the, the long time guys, you know, the Ted Barrett's of the world moved on, but there are still some long time umpires. And like, this is a big ask for them to suddenly be enforcing these rules that they've, they've never experienced. And yes, yeah. the younger umps that have done a ton of triple A games in the minor leagues, they're going to be more used to it. And they're generally the ones that are better at the strike zone and all these things. Cause they're just more used to what baseball is now, you know, right. in the 2020s. Um, but all of that said, and, and what you kind of started with describing and, and the challenges that here's, let's just put it more simply. Who will struggle with this more, pitchers or hitters um, at the major league level? I would also say, by the way, it's I think what you described about that grace period of six weeks, there's a reason why they've been very clear. They're saying spring training, we're doing it, and we are enforcing it immediately because spring training is your time to figure this out. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why they're, they're saying that. But on the whole, who would you expect to struggle with this more? Um, because you've made a compelling case for both. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um <laughs> I'm putting your feet to the fire here. Pick <laughs> pick a side. Um, I'm going to say that hitters already have a hard time because these pitchers are so dang good these days mm-hmm. that as, as a fan of the game and as a fan of offense, I hope that maybe the pitchers have a slightly harder time with it, especially with runners on base. Uh, are they doing the bigger base this year? That's mm-hmm. like, yep. like a pizza box? The pizza okay. box. Pizza base, yeah. boxes are coming. So, so stealing a base, you have, what, three to six inches less to go. So... You, you might have 
a little bit more stolen bases. You also can't pick over three times. Mm -hmm. That was another rule change that kind of changed the game in AAA. Because realistically, you're only going to pick off once now. You get two on the third one. He's, he gets the free base. But what happened was, as soon as you pick twice, that, that runner is 100 feet off the bag because he knows you're not going to risk it again. So we had much bigger leads. You had you had speed guys really toying around with the defense. And you can't come set for very long. So if you come set, it's much easier for that runner to time the pitcher up because the pitch clock is in the view of the runner who's also looking at the pitcher can also see the pitch clock. All of a sudden, he's got a three, two, one. Here I go. <laughs> Man, you're getting me amped for this. But but this is the thing. Like, yeah, yes, that sounds that, awesome. That does sound like a, a, a kind of a, a headache for pitchers and for catchers who yep. are also tasked with controlling the running game. But you're a smart guy. You're also a baseball fan. You can understand why that is an exciting thing. And yep. I mean, stolen bases have all but completely evaporated from the major league yep. game. And if that is any combination of these things can get that back into the game. I think that's another thing for people to be excited about. Um, yeah, I think I, I have spent my career supporting pitching staffs as a catcher and trying to make my pitchers the best they can possibly be. And I love pitching as a catcher, as a hitter, and as a fan of the game. I want to see offense, mm -hmm. like or a perfect game, one like all or nothing. I don't want to <laughs> see. I don't want to see a, a two-run game where it was like a manufactured run. Like hit some bombs. Like, I want to see hits. I want to see 12 to 10 hits, mm -hmm. and the game is 7 to 6. That's an exciting game. Mm -hmm. I got what I paid for as a fan. Um, but again, as a catcher, I'm like, you're not getting any hits today. So, uh, no, the rule changes, I think, are, are going in the right direction. The players may be frustrated, but just deal with it. Like we dealt with it in the minor leagues for the last couple of years. You accept this is how we're going to play the game now, and it's going to make the product better. And that's the ultimate goal. Well, and I think you you summarized it as well as, as any of us could and with way more experience to back it up. Uh, Ryan LaVarnway, your wisdom is invaluable and we appreciate the perspective. Um, this was great and uh, we'll, we'll do it again soon. What, where can we, yeah, where can we find your work? I mean, if you're listening, this guy sounds pretty smart. I would love to hear more from Ryan LaVarnway. Uh, where can they do that? Uh, check me out. Uh, I got a website, ryanlavarnway.com. Uh, I've got a podcast out. Finding the way it is on uh, all podcast platforms, Apple podcast, Spotify, all, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm writing a, a children's book about my experience in the WBC in 2017 uh, and going out to uh, play in the WBC again next month. So I'm excited about that. And if you're into uh, to funny Instagram reels, check out my Instagram at Arla Barnway. He is a Renaissance man, a catcher, a hitter, a catcher and a hitter, a pitcher's best friend. And also, worst enemy is someone saying the pitch clock is good. Uh, Ryan LaFarnway, uh, we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, boys. I will see you again soon. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shaped sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life.
And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. I'm staring virtually at Jordan Schusterman. Thanks to Ryan LaVarnway for hopping on. Jordan, I still don't feel as if my questions are quenched. I don't know if I have the answers quite yet. Yeah, well, I think we will all still have questions probably the entire season, but we're going to continue on and try and help answer some of those and try and start to preview what this is going to look like with our next set of special guests. Uh, coming up here, we have a conversation with two broadcasters that were that were kind enough uh, to join us. One of them is Boog Shambi, who you are likely very familiar with as the relatively new voice of the Chicago Cubs. Of course, we've heard him on ESPN Radio and on ESPN for many years. Um, so Boog is, is one of the best. And we've had a con- we've had conversations with Boog in the past about these rule changes way before they were implemented and how baseball needed to adjust. And so we thought Boog's perspective as a broadcaster and as someone who whose baseball opinion we respect greatly would be a great person to come on. Now, Boog was not the only one because the reality is, as legendary of a broadcaster as Boog is, he has never done a game with the pitch timer. And so we wanted to bring in someone who has. And that is Jake Eisenberg, who... Uh, Last year was doing games um, for the AAA Omaha Storm Chasers, as well as doing some games on the radio for the New York Mets. He was recently promoted and is now going to be doing games for the Major League Kansas City Royals this year. And Jake is someone that we've been lucky enough to get to know over the last few years. And he did broadcast games. In fact, he had to bounce between the big leagues and AAA last year doing games with the pitch clock and without it. And so we thought his perspective would be valuable as well. So uh, with that in mind, uh, just... That's who you're about to hear from. That's why we had them on. And we hope you enjoy this conversation with Boog Shambi and Jake Eisenberg. Jake and Boog, hello. Uh, Boog, I appreciate you not being named Jake, so we don't have some Jake, triple Jake confusion. But Boog, it's nice to see you. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Jake, congrats, by the way, pal. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to see you in Arizona and then Wrigley and everywhere else in between. It'll be fun. Awesome. Yeah. There's nothing like being on a podcast with two people who <laughs> are two of the most delightfully sounding voices of all time. And me and Jordan's Jewish nebby uh, nasal tones have to pierce through the dulcetness of these. I don't gentlemen. know. I think I'm I think I'm leaning more toward your end of the spectrum than Boogs right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. No comment on that. So the reason that we wanted to have you two gentlemen on uh, uh, slightly different Boog. You are someone who has been very passionate about MLB's need to uh, enact some sort of rule changes to, let's say, heighten and improve the style of play in baseball. You have brought this to our attention for the first time years ago. And Jake, the reason we wanted to have you on is because you called games both at the AAA level last year where there was the pitch clock and at the MLB level where there wasn't and where there will be. So I think let's start with you, Boog. When did it first pop into your head that there was a problem that rule changes could potentially solve. I think I'm going to edit your question and just say, just take the first part of it. When did I start to think that there was a problem? Um, I think it's probably five or six years ago. Um, is maybe yeah, six years ago, something like that, where just the ball started being in play less time between pitches started to increase. I mean, time time of game has continued to gradually increase, but it again, it's, it's not just a time of game thing. I think it's pace. I mean, I think we've all been at or broadcasted games that felt like they were five hours and they were only three, and games that felt like they were, you know, 220 and were three. So I, I think that uh, 
you know, the pace is is a big part of it. But that that's when I when I first started noticing it, leaving the ballpark and thinking to myself, man, nothing happened in that game. And I think that that's something, a kind of a theme that's arise when we talk about it. it's like, oh, you can point out, wow, you know, the pitch clock has shaved off 20 minutes, but it's really about what those 20 minutes feel like that you're getting rid of. It's not that it's that big of a deal that it now takes 240 versus three. It's how it feels in between. So switching it over to you, Jake, you had the experience to call games with the pitch clock and, and have those rules in place. How much different was it? And, and how hard was it for you to adjust back and forth, you know, when you were doing some games with the Mets? Well, initially, I mean, it you could feel it immediately when they introduced the pitch clock from opening day in the minor leagues uh, last year. You could feel that pace. And it was a little bit quick. And at least it took some getting used to on my end. And I took some used to getting used to on the player's end, too. And then after about a couple of weeks, it was kind of second nature. And you didn't really notice it anymore until the game ended. And you looked at the box score and it said 236. And you were like, whoa, that was that was a lot faster than I realized. And then you would get toward the tail end of the season and a game that went three hours and six minutes felt way longer and it felt way out of the ordinary when last year you would have taken a, a 306, you know, in terms of game time. And so it, it was definitely noticeable. It definitely improved the pace going back and forth between AAA and the big league games. It was incredibly noticeable how much slower the major league game was compared to the AAA game and how much time there was between each pitch. And that was certainly true for some pitchers more so than others that like to take more time or tinker with, you know, the pitch com or, or something like that. There's just so much more space between each pitch than there was at the AAA level that the actual cadence of the game just felt off at a certain point at the major league level compared to what we were experiencing in Omaha and around AAA. But but for you, Boog, you know, you haven't broadcast. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You have not broadcasted a game yet with the pitch clock, correct? Like that has not occurred. Right. So you have not done that. So one of the one of the great ironies of I think this conversation, particularly with you guys, is that one of the reasons why people love broadcasters is their ability to tell stories and the ability to kind of fill those moments. I mean, I think about Vince Scully, right? I think about Vince Scully and I think about how good he was at filling all of that dead time in a way that very few people can do. I mean, are you kind of looking forward to the challenge of figuring out that new pacing, but also feel like, oh, wow, maybe I'm not going to be able to fit in as much as I normally would uh, in, in a broadcast? Okay, so two things. One is I think these are two different ideas mm -hmm. uh, for radio and for TV. I think for radio, the mechanics of it is probably a tad more challenging because you got to move it along. You got to make sure that you're not getting caught chasing plays um, with the pace being picked up so much. So I, I, I think that that'll be more challenging uh, than it will be on TV. I would also point out this, you know, you mentioned Vince Scully, but I mean, it's not like the pitch clock is taking us, to a place we've never been before. I mean, Vin broadcasted most of his career and the sport was played at a pace that they're going to try to attempt to play at this season. Yeah, it's a good point. You know what I'm saying? So he, I mean, so in the end, even with a fast pace, there's baseball is a sport that lends itself to the openings to tell stories, the space to drive interesting content connected to the game. I don't think that'll change. I think it's just, you know, finding your rhythm inside of that and uh, 
yeah, I just I know for me, because now I'm doing more TV than radio, you know, the first couple of times I do radio, just making sure that my that I'm in sync, I think is the is the biggest thing for me. It's it's not taking baseball and putting it at one point five speed. It's taking baseball that was at point five speed <laughs> and getting it back to one. Yes. Right. And I think well, that is. Yeah, that is the point of these rules. In my mind, there are essentially four rules. I know that there are three technically. There's the pitch clock, there's the bigger bases, and there's the shifting. But in my opinion, I think the pitch clock is two. There's the timer and how it affects the pitcher, and there's the pickoff rule and how that uh, that limitation is going to change base dealing. I know that they're interconnected, but I do think that they are slightly different. Of those four incoming changes, I'll start with you, Jake. Which of those four are you most iffy on? Do you have the most aversion and skepticism about? Well, I, I should start by saying that I've never seen the shift restrictions. They did happen at the minor league level, but they weren't in AAA last year. So right. that's not something I've seen. I know also the shift restrictions they have this year are slightly different than the ones they had at AA on down. Uh, the pitch clock is one second longer at the major league this year than it was. And look, when we're talking about seconds here, they they all count. Uh, it's going to be a 15-second clock with the bases empty as opposed to 14 seconds like it was at the AAA level last year. That makes a huge difference. Uh, hitters last year at the AAA level had to be, quote, alert to the pitcher with nine seconds left on that clock. Now it's going to be with eight seconds left on that clock. So there's more space to there. I'll tell you, the bigger bases thing, didn't really notice it all that much at all. The pickoff thing, I think I can remember one or two instances where there was a third move made and there wasn't an out recorded and it became a balk, but it wasn't something that was entirely consequential. I think for me, and I'll, I'll kind of add one more rule to, to the list that you came up with, Jake, we're talking about this as a pitch clock or a pitch timer, but it is as much a clock for the hitters as it is for the pitchers. And one of the things that I think we noticed last year at the AAA level is that the hitters had much difficulty adjusting to that timer as the pitchers did in being, quote, alert to the pitcher and going through the various things that they're trying to come up with of where the pitch is going to be and how it's going to be thrown and that sort of thing, especially with the bases empty. You know, last year at the AAA level, it was a 14-second clock with the bases empty. Hitters had to be alert at the nine-second mark. That's effectively five seconds that they had to get in the box and be ready. And so when you tack on a second to the pitcher side, now 15, and you tack on a second to the batter side, now eight seconds, that's now a full two more seconds that the hitters will have to get ready. I think that's going to make a difference, but it's still going to be a pretty significant adjustment for hitters that like to step out and adjust their batting gloves and really think about what might be coming. You're taking away a little bit of how quick those you know, mental ideas come through. And so that's, I think, an adjustment that we might see even more than on the pitching side is how the veteran hitters really adjust to to really being forced to stay in the box and not being able to go through all these variables. And same thing for you, Boog, because I know you, as you mentioned, like it's been five, six years since you noticed we needed to make changes. Now that we have the changes have been put into place and we haven't seen them yet, there's going to be some parts right. that we just aren't even prepared for. But yes. at, from what we know now, are there ones that you're more iffy on versus more excited about? Okay, so I got yeah I've a million thoughts. I think <laughs> the first thing is, um, I, I mean, again, it's right, it's uh, it's subjective and anecdotal but i i would probably lean i think that it's about pitchers i think especially it's especially in today's 
major league game because starters don't go deeper and because of the amount of relievers, I think it is about from the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, those pitchers coming in and working so slowly. Um, I think that's the, the, the the biggest impact and that's where i'm interested in the later stages some of these dudes holy cow right to your point boog if you take a look at the baseball savant list of who takes the longest to pitch it's almost exclusively relievers in the top 20 i think it's relievers and otani right (laughs) and so you make a great point there that that's who this is going to impact the most but i also would say i look i there are going to be hitters. You know, Matt Carpenter had to go play down there, and he was someone that loved to just go meander, and it annoyed him at first. And then eventually I texted with him, and he told me, he's like, no, nah, I loved it. He's like, it just it got me focused. I do think I, one editorial comment would be this from the player's standpoint. I get it. They get really caught up in this is going to make me uncomfortable. And my response is, bummer. Yep. You're going to be fine. Like these rules, this is not about you being comfortable. This is about yielding a result that will be more entertaining for the consumer, period. And I don't believe that these guys are going to play below their true talent level because of these rules. You asked if, is there one that I'm iffy on? I've come to an interesting place on the shift. I would still say that in the overall on the shift, my problem is this. It's penalizing smart or rewarding stupid. Like this idea of you're not allowed to put a defender where the hitter hits the ball. What's the difference between that and Jake can't hit a slider. Now you're not allowed to throw him a slider. I mean, it's just being smart. And I, and so like that annoys me, but fans want it. Players are bothered by it, like viscerally bothered by it, internally bothered by it. I told the story a bazillion times. I can't remember what year. I'm going to say 15, uh, 13, maybe. Nah, 15. Brian McCann is in Detroit, and I and it's September, and I asked him, how's your season going? And he said, fine, except, you know, the shift's killing me. He said, I probably lost 25 hits. And I look at him, I'm like, Brian, you haven't lost 25 hits on the shift. He's like, yeah, man, I'm telling you, I've lost 20. And again, it's an estimator, but I think the estimated total for him that year ended up being like seven. Right. So the point, but here's the point. If he thinks it's 25 or 27, it's doing something negative to him. So, I, I like, I'm here for it. I, I mean, I you have seen left-hand hitters pull ground balls, you're out. Like, you are out. And that's one of the things that's going to change. So, but I, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I like, we're still in a place where these guys throw so hard. Um, and this game's not about singles right now. It's just not, it's too hard to get singles. So this game is not about, you know, through a single through the four, three hole. Sorry. Um, it's about extra base hits and hitting it over the fence. Well, to that point, the shift is not like, People keep saying, oh, the, the shift is banned. The shift is banned. The shift hasn't been banned. It's been reduced. You can still more or less play up the middle as yep. long as you are just barely on one side of second base or the other, depending on which side of the field you're on. So those yep. balls that are going up the middle are still going to turn into outs 
the same way they did before. It's really just that overshift on the right side with that second baseman in shallow right field that we're not going to see anymore. So there's still very much a shift and shifting that will happen, which is why it's more of a restriction than a, than a ban because it's not a ban. It's still going to be there. It's a it's a really good point. I, I would say that the one that's being restricted is the one that consumes the most outs. Is, True. But yes. I, I, yes. But I yes, you're 100 percent right. You're you're still able to st- those line drives that are up the middle. And what's that guy doing standing there? That is still going to happen. It's, it's a really good point. I think that the point of the shift, right, or, or reducing the shift is that we want some sort of tension to exist when a batter hits the ball. Right. If I am watching Joey Gallo and he hits a ball on the ground to the right side, I can look at my phone. Right. I don't need to watch that through. And I had an old roommate who wasn't a baseball fan and he liked college baseball a lot more than pro baseball because he liked the idea of a ball in play was not a guaranteed out that in the pros. They're so good at defense that when the ball's put in play, you can tune out most of the time. And the shift reduction is not going to like completely change that. Right. But it is going to alter it for a little bit for a certain type of hitter for a certain type of hitter who I think is generally entertaining to watch. Um, I'm trying to think about where to go from here. Let's, well, I'll, let, me, I'm, let me say this. Yeah, here's the other thing about, you know, balls in play, not necessarily being outs. And this is maybe an area where the bigger bases has a slight impact. If you are elite, in terms of sprint speed, we're talking your Trey Turners, your Bobby Witt Juniors. If you hit a ground ball to the right or left side, I mean, that's that's usually an out, except for guys like that who can leg it out. But when you've got just that extra amount of base mm. and that baseline is just that much smaller, you're going to have just that many more infield hits. And so that ground ball that's going up the middle that, yes, is still cut off by the shortstop playing right next to the second base bag, still very likely an out. But for those really, really fast guys, those could become more infield hits. And there's some excitement there too. I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, you just, you just mentioned earlier about how the pickoff rule didn't really seem to make a dramatic difference on the game. Um, I know stolen base rates were up in the minors across the board, which is, which is exciting. And so while, yes, when I look at the bigger bases and I think, oh, wow, it's like two more inches, like how difference does it make? And then you think about how often you see the bang, bang play and how often you see, you know, the super slow-mo and how close it is. And, and you know, that can make a difference. My question for both of you is, like, what would you, if it goes as planned, right? Like, cause that's the other thing. When we talk about the shift, we're banning, or we're bringing the shift back or we're, we're getting rid of it is a way to help lefty sluggers or lefties that are pulling the ball a lot. But also there's been a lot of rhetoric from the league about what you just described, Jake, helping faster players, helping more athletic players make more athletic plays, whether that's on the base paths or defensively. I'm curious, Boog, do you buy that? Do you think that will actually happen, whether it be through the bigger bases, through the ship restrictions, or do you think that that is probably an, a few more rule changes away so that we can get more balls in play and that the pitching is just so good that we're just going to still end up with a really, really low batting average and whatnot? I, I mean, subtly, I think that it could impact things. I mean, that's the purpose of it. I mean, I can remember Theo Epstein telling me about it, you know, five years ago in terms of just, uh, you know, three inches, you know, a base basically making a subtle difference in, you know, yielding a, a safe call or something along those lines. I, I also, uh, I also think that you're starting to see in the majors that there are some teams that recognize, you know, you can steal a base at a 75% success rate. 
I think there's a chance you could start to see things move towards some teams that have that that talent base utilizing the stolen base more, especially if you're going to be able to steal it at a you know at a, a very efficient rate. And I would love to see that change in yeah. style just because like some of the best teams in baseball for the last few years have literally abandoned the steal, like are never running. They're running like twice a week, basically. Right. Yeah. And so if you if you would have some teams that could do that, I, I would imagine that'd be exciting. But yeah, Jake, do you think that we're going to see a dramatic shift? I, I don't think it's going to be dramatic in the sense that you're I don't think it's something you're going to notice every single night. I think sure. when you look back at numbers after the season, you're you're going to see the same upticks that we saw in the minor leagues last year. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this, when you look at all of these different rules and you look at who they specifically benefit, I don't think that there's a group that benefits more than base runners mm-hmm. who now can use the pitch clock to take a lead or there's the pickoff move that they can try and use to their advantage. There's that shorter base path too. So all of this really just incentivizes base runners, specifically the guys who are trying to steal. And so if you want to put athleticism on display and into the game and at the forefront, the stolen base is probably one of the better ways to do it. And I think, yeah, you're going to see teams and specifically players who are going to be okay being a little bit more aggressive, knowing that there's that much fewer space that they have to cover or that they can get that much better of a jump because they see the pitch clock and can time up the pitcher's motion or a guy's picked off twice and now he might be a little bit more reticent to throw over again. So yeah, I think base runners are going to benefit and there are certain guys that may not have stolen a ton of bases in years past that could just pop on the radar and go swipe 20 bags Mm -hmm. because now they're incentivized to. So my last question for you guys uh, and then then Jake can finish this out. Um, And this is maybe a little bit more for Boog as someone who and yeah, I mean, this will be you, Jake. Was, you'll start building your contacts of Major League Baseball. He's already name dropping Matt Carpenter and Brian McCann and all these guys here, right? But yeah, my you, Rolodex you, isn't that deep yet. <laughs> isn't that deep? But so my question is, how messy do you think this is going to be initially? In terms of the players that you've talked to, either last year, leading up to it, or this off season, and and coming into this season. And I'm curious from your perspective, Jake, too, as someone who has spent a lot of time around, you know, young Royals who are going to be in the big leagues this this upcoming season. How ugly is this going to get from a reaction standpoint, both in spring training and as the season gets started? Because the only thing baseball players love more than Tiger Woods is complaining. <laughs> so, so Boog, start us off. How, what do we, how do we think, not just the actual effect in the game, how are the players going to respond? Even though, as you It'll said earlier, fine. You'll hear them complain here and there, um, and you'll have guys get loud from time to time, but I don't, I don't. I think it's going to be talked about, but I don't. I don't think it's. It's not. You use the word. How messy will it be? I don't think it's going to be very messy. I think that it's kind of like any other change or something in baseball that the guys that it benefits, you're not going to hear much from, and the guys that it doesn't benefit or they feel hurts them, you might hear a little bit more complaining from them. The thing that thing that I'm interested in seeing is, you know, at least initially in 2021, it wasn't really enforced. I mean, there's been a pitch clock at the AAA level since 2015. It only really started getting enforced last year, which is why we saw the results that we did. And they've said that there's not really going to be a grace period. It's going to be enforced as soon as everyone gets to spring training. Uh, How that is enforced on certain players versus others? Look, I don't know. I mean, are you going to be want to be the umpire who calls the first automatic ball against Max Scherzer? I don't know. Like you might, you might not want to be in that position. I, you don't want to call an automatic strike against Salvi. Like I don't know. I'll say this. I think the other interesting wrinkle is that 
these rules are not in place for the World Baseball Classic, and you've got so many players yes. who are going to the World Baseball Classic that are not going to have the same time to adjust to these as the guys who are in spring training in totality. So when you get to opening day, there's completely varying degrees of experience with these rules, not just the minor leaguers that experienced them last year in AAA, but the big leaguers that either had time in spring training or with the WBC. So it's going to run the gamut, I think, the first couple of weeks. Yeah, it might be a little bit messy in terms of what gets enforced and what doesn't and who's experienced with it and who's not. But like anything else in this game, I think once you get a couple of weeks in, uh, a month in, I think it's something that's going to fade into the background and just be part of what we enjoy watching. I remember last year I asked Max Scherzer about it about the impending pitch clock. And he looked at me, looks me in the eye, puts his <laughs> finger at me, and he goes, I will manipulate the shit out of that. Yeah, right? I, I think I remember like hearing about that, because I think he said that to, to some other people too, or something yeah. along those lines. And why not? You're going to have pitchers that are going to try and do that. And which ones are going to be savvy enough to do it in the ways that best help them? But you mentioned uh, the umpire. Who's going to want to call that? That's another thing that has come up. Talking about this is that the umpires, so many veteran umpires are having to figure out how to do this too. You know, there are a lot of minor league umps that just got called up and they've been used to these rules. But I'm that is one of the things I'm most fascinated in is which umpires, the veteran umpires who have never had these rules before, are going to be the drop in the hammer versus the ones who are going to be like, I don't even feel comfortable doing this. Obviously, MLB is instructing them to enforce as soon as possible. And that's part of why they're doing it in spring training. But I'm super fascinated by that element too, uh, Boog, if you had any other final thoughts on, on enforcement. I mean, it's just, I mean, one thing if you saw, there's been a pretty large changeover um, this offseason in the umpiring groups. And, you know, I think purposefully that the league continues to get younger um, as it relates to the umpires. I hadn't really contemplated the idea of like who's going to enforce it or not enforce it. I I guess I'm I lean towards the idea that um, it's getting enforced. It'll get enforced no matter who's out there. Like I, is, is my, is my take on it. I, if, if Max Scherzer, if it's not enforced against Max Scherzer against the Cubs, David Ross is coming right out of the dugout and he's going to lose his mind yep. and they don't want that. So I don't, I, I think, I think that, and, and I think they're also going to be under pressure from the league to enforce it, not selectively. So I, I, again, I, I, you know, I, I would just, I mean, Jake has more experience with seeing it, so I, 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 I probably shouldn't. And it's, well, uh, it's the sort of thing where we're also we're we're talking about two different levels and two different levels of experience in terms of players too. And I only say I only talk about the enforcement because we've seen it be in play and not enforced at the AAA level, but the stakes are lower. There's way fewer eyeballs. There's way less experience, both on the umpire side and on the player side. Uh, one thing, Jake, to your point about you know manipulating the pitch clock, and I don't want to necessarily like accidentally tattletale on anybody, but like who's going to be the first guy that uses the pitch com not working as an excuse to get out of a you know pitch clock violation? Like it's going to happen. You know, there's going to be ways that guys get around it. And frankly, that seems like the number one way to me. It's like, oh, I can't hear. mm, Sorry. You know, we need some extra time. Like, does that count as a disengagement? I don't know. Like, these are the things we're going to find out as we go find out. We're going to find out very quickly. Um, Yeah, I think I listen, we could we could go for a lot of different directions, but but I think we can kind of cut it off here. I, I think I'm fascinated by this just because, like I you mentioned, who's going who's going to be used to it, veterans versus young players. I, there is part of me that wonders if if it's going to be way harder for certain veterans and who is going to just some players are going to just completely crumble under the system. We have no idea who those are going to be. In general, I agree with you, Boog. I think that to me, I'm just like, bummer, figure it out. Like, 
baseball's hard. Yes. You're going to figure it out. You're the best in the world and you'll, you'll figure it out. Go ahead, Jake. Well, that's the thing, right? We reached a point where teams and players acting in their own self-interest to be good at the game made the game less entertaining for the consumer, right? And that is a bad thing that those two are incompatible dynamics. And the goal here with these rules is to push those a little bit closer, right? That the players are incentivized through the rules to create a more entertaining product so that the game can thrive and the game can flourish. And my last question for both of you is, does it work? And maybe that's too simple, right? Baseball's problems are bigger than these rule changes and they're smaller than these rule changes. And But I'm curious in your perspective, what does this actually do for our sport? Jake, we'll start with you. Well, the other thing about it is that this game, like the only constant in this game has been change and rule changes since the very beginning of this game. So anyone that decries the purity of the sport going away because we have a clock now, you know, just just go read about, you know, baseball history and the rule changes over the course of time. I mean, this is probably the most drastic rule change for pitchers since they lowered the mound in 69. And guess what? Pitching's better than ever. You know, it may have had a little bit of an impact in 1969. And funny enough, I had I had lunch with Denny Matthews today, whose first season in the big leagues was 1969. And so he remembers seeing these pitchers adjust to the mound being lowered. And now he's also going to see these pitchers adjust to the pitch clock. That's just the nature of this game. There's change. Does it work? I mean, if you're looking, it depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at simply game time, yes, unequivocally, it works. The pace unequivocally is so, so much better. And fans, broadcasters, players, too, I think are going to come around on that and really enjoy that. The other stuff, I I think we'll see. But I think ultimately it's not going to be as gargantuan of a difference in the game that we know and love as people might think it to be. Uh, So to put it simply, does it work? Yes. What does it work toward? I mean, we're going to find out. But yeah, I think it's going to work to the goals that Major League Baseball has, which is just pace of play and shortening game times, which is what we saw at the minor league level without any shred of doubt. Boog, close us out. I think that it, I would echo that. I think it's going to work on pace. I don't think, I think we're still going to be left a little bit short on, and again, this is more, uh, you know, my opinion, uh, Mike Farron and I have gone back and forth on this, but I just, I think that the, I think that right now the style of play with the ball not being in play and slow pace and length, it's it's it makes the product really hard to digest. I still think that you want to move it towards uh, a place where the ball is in play and there's just more action. So I think this is going to get us towards what we want and work as it relates to improving. But I don't think we're going to be at the end of it saying this is perfect. I think that's a good place to, to end it. Uh, Boog Shambi, Jake Eisberg, you guys are the best. Appreciate the time. All right. Thank you to Ryan LaVarnway and to Boog Shambi and Jake Eisenberg for joining us. But we did tweet out that we would like to hear from you guys, the listeners, with some emails, with your thoughts, questions, concerns about the new rules. And we got some good ones, got a bunch of good ones. Um, we did want to talk about a few of them here uh, before we say goodbye. Um, so yeah, let's let's run through some of these. We begin with an email. Again, you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's baseball, B-A-R-B, cast at gmail.com. This first email comes from Jake. And uh, Jake just, just points something out here. He says, minimizing position players pitching is a must 
Frankly, you could talk me into a run rule to end games early. Who doesn't love more walk-offs? So let's focus on this concept because at first, what, what were we talking about walk-offs? Well, for those of you who are not accustomed to watching baseball or softball with a run rule, what it allows for is if you reach that run rule in the bottom of an inning, if past the sixth or the seventh or whatever the specific rule is, you can just walk off the game even if you're up by 10 and that's the end. And what is really more interesting about this concept is him saying no more position players pitching. Now, listen, there are still fans of baseball fans on Twitter. You know, we got a, a tweet from uh, from Megan who said, like, why are they trying to get rid of position players pitching? Because they're like, she said, here's a question. Why does MLB want to crush our spirits by limiting the position players pitching? Again, like there are fans that do still love this because it is it is weird, it is goofy. You don't really know exactly how it's gonna how it's gonna work out. When a position player strikes someone out, that's fun. When a position player gives up five home runs in a, in a row, that's also fun. It's everything in between that is, I think, usually not fun. <laughs> and that is ninety five percent of the action. I just wanted to get your take on position players pitching from the standpoint of how much do you, are you still entertained by it, and how would you feel about there being a run rule in baseball? I am entertained by it still. Every time. And I'm not entertained by it in a way that's like, doo, 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 this is so goofy, right? <laughs> For me, it's about the comparison between that and what else it would be in that context, right? <laughs> so if the Reds are losing to the Brewers 14 to 3 in the ninth, that game is over, but they have to play right? The bottom of, let's say they have to play the, the top of the ninth. They have to, it's the rules. Okay. But in that context, it's either going to be the worst pitcher on these teams pitching, or it's going to be a goofy position player doing it. And I would much prefer a weird indelible moment of a position player looping one in or throwing harder than you expect instead of watching like, I don't know, like Austin Bibbins Dirks or, you know, some other just random quad A pitcher. Yeah. That being said, I don't feel passionate enough about it in either way to like raise a stink over this yeah. ending. However, I do think that like, we still will get some, like we'll get some blowouts where mm -hmm. position players are pitching. What this is doing, this rule of making it so that you can't use the pitcher unless it's eight runs is so that teams don't use these pitchers in situations where they should just be using actual pitchers, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and as for the run rule part of it, like, I don't think we'll ever see that in Major League Baseball. I could be wrong. Uh, I'm sure you could have said that about a lot of the rules that we're now talking about. But um, I would rather have position players pitching, I think. But I don't know. It's I, I'd be curious how, how uh, players would feel about a run rule. I would be very, very curious to know what theirs I, i've heard some say yeah like absolutely because because again same thing with the automatic runner they're trying to get home they they're trying to be done they play a bajillion games like if they know they've lost they know they've lost they're not like you know oh sure you'll get five percent of them that will be like no like play is a little last out like we still have a chance down by 12 there are some some hardos they're still going to say that but in general they're like no i just want to go to sleep <laughs> like i have to play again tomorrow that's what I'm interested in for the run rule, right? Because you have this, these two things that seem like incompatible that players believe to their core. Players love getting home, right? They love getting home. But players love irrationally believing that they still have a chance to win a baseball game. 
And so yeah. I am curious if you pulled guys <laughs> that tension. where they would fall. Yeah, right? that's a good point. Uh, all right, uh, let's take a look at this next email from Owen. Um, why don't you read this one? Owen, I, I, we're, we got back-to-back uh, UK emails here. So start us off with, with Owen. Owen says, as an English football fan, the idea of being able to just change rules baffles me. Widening the bases is like making the goalposts thinner. Is it really going to make a difference? The ghost runner is dumb. Just have ties or even a few extra innings of normal baseball and then ties. Rules about position players pitching are silly. Institute a mercy rule that requires agreement between managers. Oh, and people are going to challenge pitch clock violations and ABS calls and games will be no shorter. It hasn't happened in the minors because it matters less when everyone knows the goal isn't to win as much as it is to develop. Small European rant over. Love the pod. Missed you guys while you were gone. Oh, and fuck the Marlins for not letting Jazz play for Great Britain in the World Baseball Classic. Cheers. Oh, and let's take this one by one. Okay, so let's start off. Uh, just the idea of a British sports fan being like, you're changing the rules? Well, Owen, there are like six rules in soccer, right? It's just like kick it <laughs> right. in the goal and don't spike anyone. It's it's simpler. Not to say that it's... Don't like, run ahead of your friend when you're trying to score. <laughs> right. Like I watch soccer every weekend. I love soccer. But it is there are fewer rules to change because there are fewer rules. Right. Um, that's one thing it's true, but, but the general sentiment here, right, is, is, and again, I think also from a soccer fan perspective is much more, um, tolerance for ties, obviously. Right. <laughs> so, so obviously he's going to be like, yeah, ties, what's wrong with ties? If I had to guess, I would say like players would hate ties more than any other rule change that you could implement. Players I, I, would rather I, have to pitch yeah. with ankle weights on. Like these guys. It is interesting though, but there is like, again, and I don't know if that's in America, like there are ties in, in the KBO. In the KBO, they play 12 innings regular. There's no extra runner and then it's ties. It's like, okay, we're not going to sit here all day. Um, and you know, there's, you know, 10 to 20 ties a year, whatever. Um, we didn't but to that tie, point, I, I agree with you. Listen, yeah. listen, Owen, we didn't tie you guys in the Revolutionary War. Okay. Back in the day. We won. It was a fat okay. dub ski. It's a big dub. Okay. We didn't split the points. You understand me? All right. I want to maybe, talk. I want to. Maybe yeah. if you guys had split the points, you could you could push ties onto MLB. I want to talk about him referring to how, okay, people are going to challenge physical violations, basically saying that, sure, it, it hasn't been a problem in the minors, but that's because it means less. I This part, I'm sort of spinning off of what he's really pointing out here. This is the biggest part of how all this is going to go that I'm most fascinated by. We sort of got into this with our guests. But like part of me that that I keep thinking of is this has existed in the minors and it hasn't been a complete circus, right? It was a little messy in the beginning, but like they've been playing these games and it's been like they have just done it and minor league baseball has continued on and they play these games and it has not created like a full-blown revolution, you know, riot, just anarchy and on the field. Like that's, that's not what's happened, right? And I know these players didn't have a choice and MLB players feel more important and the stakes are higher and there's more money at stake. I get that, right? At the same time, that's the part that I keep thinking of is like, how crazy is this going to get? Like this has existed. We've just been playing these games. Like 
it's fine. They've all adjusted and they did it. And that's kind of how I feel it's going to work at this. But that's the part I think about is how different it will be because, again, the stakes are much higher. I'm, I'm curious. We'll see. So um, many of my opinions for the new rules boil down to uh, players will just deal with it and figure it out. Yes. Next email we'll, is... We'll get to a couple more emails. Similar sentiment. Yes. Next email is from James. He says, new rules and walk-up music. Walk-up music. Will we be deprived of hearing Leyenda playing when Rafael Devers goes to bat with the pitch clock? Love the podcast. I do want to talk about walk-up music in the context of the pitch clock. Walk-up music is good. It is cool. It should stay. I like it. I also believe, not to sound like a grumpy old Murray Chass cosplayer, that walk-up music has done a good deal of harm in lengthening games. Because a lot of the time, yes, it is there are pitchers stepping off and adjusting their hat and throwing over. But a lot of it is like batters take forever to get into the box compared to like college baseball or minor leagues. These dudes are listening to their music. They're feeling cool. They're getting in the mindset. They're redoing their batting gloves. They're waiting until the chorus is over. And I, I'm not trying to blame it. Everything in the world, like, you know, uh, economic inequality is not walk up music's fault, but like there is a piece of really? this that, yeah, believe it or not, there is a piece of that, this that goes to walk up music for lengthening these moments. Right. That being said, I think that every player should be able to find a 15 to 20 second snippet of a song they like that still pumps them up and gets the crowd going. There are so many fucking songs in the world that if you can't find one in that amount of time, then maybe you shouldn't have one at all. I am curious, right? How does walk up music strategy change? Because to your point, there are some guys that really are, are milking it and are getting like 25, 30 seconds from when they, you know, bash the bat down, take the donut off and stroll up to home plate. Um, that's just not, that is a lot of time. That adds up. That adds up over the course of a game. Absolutely. I, I, cause there, you made this point to me yesterday when we were talking about it. There's like one player on each team for whom the walk-up music is like an event. And this mm -hmm. was really notable following the Phillies during the postseason where Bryson Stott had like a very notable walk-up music every time. Everyone would sing along. And then, you know, the the Harper one where it's like, classic. No, I right. But that's the thing. For the most part, though, it is for the the player, right? Like they yeah. picked it, they're using it. And so most people are tuning them out. Most people are like, whatever, what is that? And that is a lot of time that adds. So I am curious to see how walk-up music. Uh, changes with these rules. Uh, our next email comes from, back to the UK. This one comes from Dara. Dara says, love the podcast listening from the UK. Oh man, we've got to be climbing those, those UK podcast charts. He says, regardless, uh, regarding new rules, I think it's going to end up creating uh, some crazy scenarios. For example, surely runners on the corners will end up being the same as runners on second and third lots of the time. If you have a runner on first who's able to draw two throws over, most pitches are absolutely not going to risk throwing over a third time and balking home a run. I suspect there will end up being a bunch of different ways that, ways that runners will be able to gain lots of advantages and it will certainly force pitchers to be braver with pickoffs. Not sure if I like this or not, but it certainly is going to be fun and surely will be too much for the league's liking. This is another part where I think back to the minor leagues and I know that it's about development. It's not like, but stolen bases were up a lot in the minor leagues. And I'm curious if it's going to go up even more in the big leagues because 
if you do feel like it is an advantage, teams are going to be running like crazy, which if that's the case, great. Like that sounds good to me, you know? And honestly, like I'm, I'm that's, I mean, I, I don't know what to what degree we'd have to get to where I would be like, this is a farce. I did, I don't know because we have so few steals now that like, I feel like any amount of improvement in that category would be a huge plus for entertainment. But yeah, I think first and third scenarios are now way, way, way more interesting um, with two outs, right? I mean, that's the thing. You know, normally runner on third, you're, you're thinking more so, okay, how do we get this runner in with less than two outs? But now it just becomes way, way, way more interesting. How can we get this runner home? How can we get a second runner in a scoring position? I'm all for that. And that tension, that that battle and controlling the running game, I think is going to become interesting. Make it, yeah, that that's exactly what I was going to say, is that there's still, controlling the running game is still a vital part of being a pitcher. It just exists in a different way in a more entertaining way for the fan. I think that what we're going to see at the start of the year is most pitchers are not like going to throw over a lot. I think they're going to be passive about it and steals will be up in that regard. That's my opinion mm. on it. Just because there just will be fewer throws. People are just going to be scared or to more scared to, yeah. Know disengage <laughs> as they say yeah no i think so I'm, I, again the, the run game is the thing i'm by far the most interested in in all of this um so more than the pace uh all right our next email comes from john let me fly through this one jordan here we go <laughs> yes. john says funny. how does a pitch clock actually impact pitchers and catchers and batters I'm sure much has been and will be said written by people like me who don't know any better about how certain players won't be able to cope with a pitch clock he has some scenarios for us. How will you, Darvish, ever throw another pitch? What were the Padres thinking? Love this. Extending a guy who takes forever right, you know, right when the new rules come into effect <laughs> is mean, very funny. There's at least some risk to that, I have to imagine. Does Juan Soto still have enough time to grab his balls, flip off the pitcher? I assume do the shuffle too, right? Like, Yeah, uh, he was yeah. already asked about this. Chelsea James asked him about it yesterday, and he's like, yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'll follow up time. I love that because I was texting Chelsea two days ago, and – she just got to Arizona. I love that her first order of business that was first job. I mean, that's Chelsea being good at her job, as far as I'm concerned. That it is. Uh, will Chris Bassett just turn into a turn into a self-concussed human bobblehead? That is both funny and a poor use of words, considering that Chris Bassett. I'm sure you don't mean this, emailer man. Uh, but Chris Bassett did get hit in the head and have a concussion. But yes, I True. see your point. Is that Chris Bassett essentially mind fucked himself into the Mets losing? Uh, with the pitchcom situation at the end of last season. I think that he will be a big boy and figure things out once he gets used to it. Uh, isn't Odubel Herrera still stepping into the box after a pitch from 2019? That is funny. Odubel Herrera takes forever. Guess what? You don't have to even think about Odubel Herrera anymore because he, I don't think, is on a team, but, thankfully. True, but uh, insert other players that take forever. This will be part of it, but as we just already you heard that conversation with Ryan LeVar and Wade, like, yeah, hitters are going to be impacted as well. Is this why Molina and Wainwright really retired? Well, uh, Wainwright didn't retire, uh, and this is this why Molina retired. Molina retired because he sucked. Uh, <laughs> yes, if you mean Pujols, um, he he played enough baseball. It's going to be fine. He writes, all of this is obviously very stupid. Professional athletes are just that, professionals. And athletes, they make adjustments all the time, often quickly and seamlessly, but they are also human adults with feelings. What is it like to adjust to a pitch clock? Who other than fans might it impact positively or negatively? And how long before broadcasts stop making a bigger deal out of it than necessary? 
Well, broadcasts love to make a bigger deal out of things than necessary, other than the ones that the great broadcasters that we had on earlier in the show. Uh, I agree with your point. These are adults. Most of them will make adjustments and figure things out. I'm like super not concerned with that. We are going to have a couple babies. Oh, yeah. But beyond that, it'll be fine. All right. Our next email uh, comes from at Olrock13, who says, with the implementation of the new pitch clock, I thought it might be time to introduce another Maddox. If a Maddox is a start in which a pitcher tosses a complete game shutout on fewer than 100 pitches, I submit we start tracking the burly when a starter throws a complete game and is done in under two hours and 30 minutes in honor of the man who never needed a pitch clock anyway. Happy to hear any feedback at Old Rock 13. P.S. I love that Burley's perfect game was just a few minutes over two hours. So a couple thoughts on this. First of all, nothing about these rules correct me if I'm wrong, nothing about these rules is going to make complete games more common. (laughs) I mean, like, complete games are still ridiculously rare. So if we're hoping to get more of those back into the game, that's going to require other rules, in my opinion. Um, Unless you think that one of these are going to help bring... I know that there's a lot of elements to this we're not thinking about, but complete games are just rare in and of themselves. I mean, we probably have, what, like 25 last year in the whole league? Um, but what do you think about uh, – that's my first critique, although I do love the concept. My other thing is is that 230 is not going to be uncommon anymore because what you what, what the data tells us is that all the games – again, shaving off 25 minutes means that the average game time is going to be about two hours and 40 minutes and not three hours and five minutes. And so 230 is not going to be notable. Two hours is going to be notable. And last year we had one game, one nine-inning game that was under two hours – um, which was a, a Cardinals uh, Rays game when Shane McClanahan and Miles Michaelis were both amazing, and there were five total hits in the game, and that's how you get to under two hours. But under two hours on the rare occasion that a pitcher goes even eight innings, sure, I'm in. We'll come up with a name for that. I mean, Burley was doing that all the time. I would imagine that uh, complete games will be even harder now because if you have less time in between every pitch, I would. I think pitchers will get tired quicker, right? I, I know we didn't necessarily see evidence of this in the minors, but I think that we might see slight velo drops from some relievers, especially that have to just go quicker right in between pitches. And so I don't think we're going to see any more complete games. I do agree with you about the timing. Um, what I'm actually most interested in is the flip side of that is the games that will still take a long time and why. <laughs> right, right. But, but also like I am curious how often we see two-hour games now um, because they're happening all the time in the minors last year and I know we have longer commercials and there's still going to be it's still going to take longer it's still most of the games are still going to be two and a half hours Uh, but well as we said many times throughout this podcast with our guests it's not about the total time it's about what it feels like that is way bigger deal than the actual time of game so all right, Jake, we have one final email that is definitely from a real person. Why don't you read this one out and then we'll say goodbye. I think you should read it, Jordan. Oh, okay. All right, let's see here. Pulling up the email from a, let's see, what's this email address? Eh, we won't say that email address out here. Uh, this comes from, it says, longtime listener, first time caller. Was wondering who you think will finish the 2023 season with the most pitch clock violations, both for hitters and pitchers. Thanks, your number one fan, Rabbit Switchblade. Oh, thank you, Rabbit Switchblade. P.S. Go Rangers. Go Rangers. Uh, The title is, 
or uh, eh, uh, we, we again, we don't we need to dox this person. All right, we don't need to dox a person who emailed. Guess what? Stuff, so. It was me, Jordan. I sent this email for my <laughs> oh, own Jake Mintz. So is that Mintz? Well, that's oh, that's Mintz. That's you. You're Jake Mintz in this email. Okay, got it. Yeah, that's um, my uh, pseudonym, Rabbit Switchblade. <laughs> Rabbit Switchblade. It's pretty good. Uh, good question, Jake. Thanks for Thanks. asking. I don't. You could have just said it. You didn't have to email it. That would have also been possible. I like this question. Um, I like thinking about this question. Uh, especially for the hitters, curious about that, who will get the most violations. Also, how many violations are we talking, right? Over the course of the year, I'm sure this will be tracked vigorously. Who are some names that stand out as, as possibilities? Now you can look on, on, on baseball savant and see, they put this in before the pitch timer. Uh, they, they have a very clear documentation of, of tempo, which is basically for what they're counting is time between pitches being released. So that's a little bit different than the actual pitch timer and what that is, because that's when you get the ball back versus when you you know start your delivery again. But still, you know who's taking the longest time between pitches generally. You have a sense. And, and 95% list, of them are relievers. Well, and also on the flip side for hitters, a lot of the people who take the longest are catchers in between mm -hmm. every at-bat or every pitch because they need to catch their breath. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. That's Now, true. my question is, my approach to this question that I asked myself is more about who is the most stubborn than it is who takes the longest because the hard-headed players, I think, are going to have a tougher time adjusting. And so I will I will draft a guy who's relatively high on the list, who I know is stubborn. And are we doing Josh. hitters or pitchers? First? Hitters. I'm taking Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson. Okay, that's a good one. I was going to say J.D. Martinez um, as one who's who's pretty high up there, who I could see being a little... But Donaldson is, I mean, that is, that's just a great pick. I, I, it's like, that is such a, such an easy one, uh, I would say. So that is definitely a good one. Uh, in terms of pitchers, again, it's a lot of relievers, a lot of, you know, hard throwing relievers who are trying to kind of slowly rejuvenate their velocity over the course of an extra five or seven seconds. You know, when you look at the top, you're looking at guys like, you know, Jonathan Loizaga, you see Araldus Chapman up there. He takes forever. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos with the Cardinals. He's been just notoriously um, slow. Then we have to mention, you know, someone mentioned you Darvish earlier. Uh, Darvish is up there, but but Shohei Otani also is just, he takes his sweet time, especially among starting pitchers. Um, he is way, way, way up there. So I, I would imagine that that some guys, we, we, we don't know. We can't just look at who's the slowest and say that they're gonna it's going to be harder for them. There's going to be guys who take an average amount of time, and that's still slow because the pitch clock is going to speed everybody up, right? Almost everybody is going to be sped up by this, at least to some degree. And because of that, uh, I think it is basically impossible to know who exactly is going to be affected the most. But I am most curious because, yeah, some people will not are not going to be able to handle it and are not going to adjust. And the ones that are on the fringes of rosters are going to – that. That sucks. They're not going to adjust, and they're going to go back to AAA where there will still be a pitch clock. <laughs> I'll take Joe Kelly. Okay. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, there's – I see some people that might be having some troubles here. But I, as the theme throughout this whole podcast, we the hitters know. are not being talked about enough. I am very – I think the hitters were thinking, so we're so worried about the pitchers. How are they going to manage? And, of course, they have to deal with more with the running game and whatnot. But there are some pitchers that are going to be an absolute mess. All of that is to say, as we wrap up this podcast, we have no idea how this is going to go. The games start in about 10 days. 
I think very quickly into spring training, once the games start, we will have a sense as to what this is going to look like. There's a reason there you're going to enforce everything right away so that it can just be a mess for all of spring training. And hopefully by the time the games, real games come around, most of the guys have adjusted. The other obvious point to make is that half of the best players in the league will be in the WBC and not playing with these rules for 10 days in the middle of spring training. That is also going to be harder for them to adjust to be playing high stakes games without the rules and immediately revert back to high stakes games with the rules. That will be challenging. They will all figure it out. They're all paid very handsomely to be the best athletes in the world. And I trust that they will continue to do that. Uh, Any final thoughts about the rules and whether they rule or not before we say goodbye? The rules rule, man. I love these rules. I think they all rule. I am so amped about the pitch clock. I was very skeptical when it was announced. And then I went to AAA and I watched it. And it is a more entertaining version of the thing I already love. It's that simple. It doesn't change it. It doesn't. It it, it obviously does change it. It doesn't make it worse. It takes the thing you like and it makes it better. It heightens your appreciation for it. Just because it trims some things out, it trims out the fat. It trims out the unnecessary thing. It makes it feel quicker and more real and more engaging. I think it is going to be a home run for MLB this year. Is it going to like rejuvenate the sport and make, you know, uh, like Jake Cronenworth the number one topic on SportsCenter? No, that's not how that works. That's not the point of it. But it will create a more entertaining product that over time will hopefully retain and bring in new fans. Totally agree. Uh, but you said, oh, we think it's going to be a home run. We might have to change that uh, cliche because baseball doesn't want more home runs. They want more like doubles in the gap and triples when like, <laughs> you know, base running. So we might have to adjust that. Maybe we can, we can work on what that cliche is going to be. The new rules will not be a violation. Jordan, anything <laughs> else to say before we get out of here? No, uh, thank you to Ryan LaVarnway. Uh, thank you to Boop Shambi and Jake Eisenberg for joining us. We hope you guys enjoyed this look at the new rules and whether they rule or not. Uh, Jake and I are heading to spring training today as we uh, will both uh, be flying. Jake's going to Florida. I'm going to Arizona. We will be apart and then we will be together in Texas for some stuff we'll tell you about next week. Um, doing some college baseball stuff at the Round Rock Classic. Uh, but yeah, we hope you enjoy this, uh, this special episode and we'll be back next week with our our spring training thoughts first couple days Uh, but until then thank you for listening thank you to chris tyler for producing and we will talk to you all very soon serious xm podcasts